This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. Growing up on the Kiribati island of Tarawa, the water was Teoti Davies' home. But as a young girl, she learned the power of the ocean. And over decades, Teote witnessed the ever-growing high tides damage her house. So she decided to build a seawall to protect it. Men in her village looked at her, a woman, and laughed. But before long, those same men were following in her footsteps. That story is now a children's book called Teote and the Wall, which can be found in schools across Kiribati. And today's episode is a special one, because Teote also happens to be my aunt. Māori auntie Teote. Māori Bobby. Kowara. <laughs> Mararong. Korapa. <laughs> auntie, our ancestors were seafarers. What does that mean? What did they do? Uh, seafarers. In Kiribati, it is very important to be a seafarer and people travel from island to island for marriage for you know, looking for their wives for civil wars, you know, getting, getting, um, you know, like grabbing lands from the landowners, and so that's you know, like that is a big skill to have as a seafarer. You have to read the stars, you, you have mm-hmm. to read the waves, you know, you have to read, you know, read the day. So you need magicians. You need, um, you know, magicians to say, oh, it's a good day to travel tomorrow, you know, yeah. or you need um, the star, you know, like stargazers and they will go, the stars, according to the star, we can travel tomorrow. That's how the seafarers are, are were in Kiribati. You know, they could not travel without having those knowledge. They have to have the knowledge of getting across to the other islands. So, that, yeah, I think in Kiribati, I think everybody's ancestors are, um, you know, seafarers, but this is our story, your story, Bobby, and, you know, this is our unique story for our family. And so they travel, you know, all over the place to to go looking for wives. What a way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a way indeed. So I have magician in my blood. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you do, Bobby. <laughs> and magicians, you have warriors in your blood, you have seafarers in your blood. Um, Bobby, you know, like when your mum was here, I was telling her the stories all the time because we only just found out that we were cousins and I was so excited. Oh, you know, like I need to tell you this. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not a keeper of stories. Like oh of course I can keep secrets, but these stories they needed to be handed down to our children. And that's why I'm doing this. Mm. And I'm so glad that you are, Auntie. And you grew up there in Tarawa on your ancestral land. What did your village look like when you were a girl? Beautiful. The houses were made out of Kiribati material. You know, Mm. no, none of these brick, mortar, um, Everybody was sharing. Everybody did nothing but sharing, sharing. They shared their food. They shared their homes. They shared their stories. And, you know, the, the halls, 
the gathering halls were really huge because there were people, they all gathered together and um, they they all supported one another in all these um, all these gatherings, you know, like a crier. There's a crier in the village, you know, and a crier goes from one end, you know, from one end of the village to or the middle, the middle of the village. And they go, a visitor is coming to our 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 village that day. You bring your food, you bring. And on that day, everybody comes around. Every, everyone is there to meet mm. this visitor. It's a nice place. Otherwise the family family life and um and the outlook of um of Beso was really beautiful. The beaches were nice and clean, you mm. know. Um probably talking about the sea I used to I remember we used to sit um um stand on the on the beach and you know during high tide the, the waves would go up maybe up to where, you know, the land is. Mm. We used to stand there. And we used to sing a song as kids, you know, like, like, um, do you know what? Oh, do you know retire? Which means, which means, um, you waves are so weak. <laughs> <laughs> and we would, you know, when the tide comes up, you know, the wave would come up to us and we'll run away from it. And then we'll <laughs> mark on the beach. That's where it was, you know, like we were having a game with the waves. It was just beautiful then, you know, it was, I mean, still beautiful now, but mm. there are a few other issues. <laughs> now, you sang about the ocean being weak when you were a girl, yeah. but it wasn't always a friendly place, was it? No, no. No, um, the waves is not a friendly, uh, not a friendly thing, you know. Mm. Nah. It gets angry, you know, and you have to realize that these waves, it can look so calm and so alluring. Is that the word? Mm. Yeah. And so you have to realize that one day this this body is going to get angry, and it's got angry as I grew up, you know. Yeah, you nearly drowned. I what nearly- happened? Well, one lunchtime, I decided to go for a swim. And I think I was only about four. So, and I, luckily, I went with my cousin. And I can still see to this day this big wave coming up to me. Or oh, wasn't mm. during nip tide, you know, the, the tide went really high unless there's wind and that will bring a high, higher tide. Anyway, I saw this. I thought, oh, I'll go and have a swim. My, my parents were having lunch and they, you know, we had a lot and lot of people living with us at that time. And they were all, they were all having lunch. I decided to go for a swim with my cousin. My cousin didn't go in, but I went in. Well, the next tide came over. I jumped and what happened? I couldn't touch the water, the, the bottom of the sea after that. So I started drinking water, you know, and then my cousin ran back, fortunately, ran back and said, Town is dry, drowning. Everybody left their lunch and ran into the water. And then from my mother's side, she said, my daughter, it must be really sad for the, for the mother to, to, to see. Anyway, they mm. got me out of the water and they were swinging me around. And about five houses away from them was this man. He saw them and he said, what's that commotion? And he came over. He said, no, 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 that's not how you do it. Put it down on the floor, on the ground. So here I am on the ground. Bobby, the next thing, it probably gave me the breath of life. And I really, really appreciate this man's, you know, like every time I hear his name, I kind of 
you know, gets very thankful and says, you know, like, you're the man that I'm living life because of you, you know, like. Mm. And I really appreciated that family for giving me that life. And not just that, but the next thing I, I woke up was in the hospital. And I thought, wow. oh, what am I doing in the hospital? You know, I have been drowned or sort of half drowned. It's it's sad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so what was the name of the man that saved your life? Fred. Fred. <laughs> Not the Kiribati name that I was expecting. <laughs> well, his name was Buresi. <laughs> Auntie, were there seawalls in your village back then? No. There weren't any mm. seawalls. Um, we, I remember we lived, we stayed in Bikinibel near the hospital. There weren't any seawalls. None at all. No. And, um, we never heard of any houses being uprooted to go further up, away from the, the water. We, mm. I never heard that. I never saw any seawalls in my growing years. Mm. Really, yeah. Now, the family moved to the outer islands while you were still at school. What did your dad try to entice you with? Well, being the eldest, and I think my dad must have thought, okay, she's going to be really affected by this this move. And I think I was. But um, so he called me and he said, Tara, I need to tell you something. You know, we're going to Tap North. We're going to live there. And I said, okay, okay. And he said, um... I have an apple tree, apple tree. And, and I said, oh, really, really? Now, now I'm really, you know, like very excited to see this apple tree. So I thought, okay, okay, I'll go. So we got on the ship. We spent about three nights on the ship. Then the fourth day, we came to the island. And as we were moving along, he said to me, see that, see that, um, that, there had a lot of, tree of trees over there. And I said, yes. Well, one of them is an apple tree. And I said, okay, all right. So off we went. We got there. We got on the land around night time, you know, 10 o'clock. It was really dark. The next morning I sat there in the house. So here I am looking around to see an apple tree. I couldn't see any. So I said to him, Bora Bora, where's, where's the apple tree? He looked around and he went, Where's that apple tree that I planted over there? Somebody cut it, cut it down. Did, did anyone cut it down? And, um, and he looked at me and he went, they cut it down. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no apple tree there on your island, was there? There weren't any apple trees. Apple trees don't grow in Kiribati. Or I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just an enticing story, you know, like to lure somebody to cut, you know, <laughs> leave this place and we'll go to this place where an apple tree is um, growing. Anyway, the things that they <laughs> say to us. Oh, poor little Teote <laughs> expecting the apple tree. But anyway, hopefully yeah. things worked out. You eventually moved back to Tarawa and became a teacher. It was there that you first met your Australian husband. Now, what was this Imatang doing in Kiribati? Well, this Imatang came to Kiribati to form the police band before the Kiribati independence. And that was in 1979. I was doing my teacher's training then. And... We lived not far away from each other. And I would see this man running because he was a runner. He would jog around the island. And then he lived on this, in this house with a big yard. And there were big pandanus 
um, fruits on trees. They were getting ripe. You know, the pandanus um, fruit, Bobby, they're very mm. nice. You know, the, even the, the babies can eat it, you know. Yeah. Anyway, my brother went up to him and said, you know, like said something. And they were pointing to these fruits. So I went up to him. And um, this is kind of weird, Bobby. So I said, I hope it's all right that he, you know, he's getting that fruit. And this white man came us and said, yeah, it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. And he said to me, there are quite a few others. And I said, oh, okay. And he offered me this stick where we had to cut down this fruit with this, a knife at the end of this stick. So as both of us, we were standing there, both of us standing there holding this um, fruit cutter. <laughs> A voice in English said to me, sorry, girl, but you're stuck. In English, and I'm going, stuck. Stuck for what? What am I? You know, stuck for what? Oh, rubbish. That voice is rubbish. So, you know, like, well, I can tell you, Bobby, 41 years later, I'm still stuck to this man. (laughs) (laughs) How romantic. (laughs) I think you are stuck, but I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. I think you're... it's a great thing for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with Teote Davies, whose work building a seawall to protect her home in Kiribati inspired a children's book. She's also my aunt. Now, Auntie, you eventually moved to Australia with Uncle Hugh. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go back and build the seawall? Well, when... In 1982, Hugh um, bought me this uh, little plot in Tarawa, and to, and I also we also built a house, a two bedroom house there. And we thought it's such a be- beautiful place, you know. It's on a cape, and you know, like we had um, a three, I said, 180 degrees um, view of the ocean, and it's it's beautiful, you know. Like you sit there and you can just imagine you're not um, you own the whole sea, you know. But then, you know, like I started to see, you know, like the sea coming in, eating the beaches of my place, you know, like my land was getting less and less and less. And I thought to myself, hmm, this is no good. But mm. And I looked at the beach. I looked at the sand from my land and I couldn't do anything about it. So I got on my motorbike and went up the road because I thought I'd rather go away and not look at this problem. So I went away, rode up, um, rode up further, and um, the saddest thing was I saw people shifting their houses because the sea had washed their properties, their furnitures, and you know, like their all their belongings were floating in the water. They were trying to just collect them and put them up further up. So I stood there and I thought to myself, my problem is not as big as these people's problem. Mm. You know, they're losing a house. I'm, I'm, I haven't lost a house yet. So as I was watching them, and I, I was, I felt so sorry for them, and I thought to myself, you know. <laughs> What can the government do about this, you know? But it's not that. What can we do about it? So I asked them, you know, like, I said, you know, so what are you going to do now? They said, oh, we're just going to live further up. We're going to build our house further up the road, away from the beach. And mind you, everybody wanted to live beside the beach instead of on the other side of, because the sea breeze comes in, they sleep well during the night. They, you know, they have a beautiful view out there. 
But when this is happening, it was a beautiful thing. The sea was a beautiful thing, but now it's becoming a monster. You know, they didn't want to live beside it. So the next thing, I went home and I looked, surveyed, kind of surveyed um, the place. And you must remember, I'm not an engineer. I'm just um, a teacher, you know. And I thought to myself, I'm going to build a wall. To protect this, and I, it wasn't just that. It was thinking about my children, you know, Terina and Marita, thinking with their, you know, like because in the meantime, I also I've also built another house beside this one. So I thought to protect their interests, I will build a seawall. And so I built the seawall, mind you, um, Bobby. The sea was just coming in through the lounge room. It was yeah. scary. You so you sort of kind of, I mean, you. You're kind of excited about it, but at the same time, you're scared that this is not right. You know, like, how can we live with this water coming into the lounge room? Anyway, so I decided to build a seawall. At that time, Bobby, climate change was coming. Well, you ask a Kiribati girl who lives on the sea about climate change. I've never seen climate change. I don't know about climate change. What is climate change? doesn't exist. But my problem exists, and my problem is protecting my place from the sea. And I started to th- imagine things like, oh, yeah, 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 I know about climate change. Climate change is affecting the fishermen. They're going further and further away to fish. I mean, that was my idea of climate change. The seawall wasn't my idea of climate change. My seawall was just a normal thing that I had to do. What, what did the men in the village say when they saw you building the wall? The men from further up, during during the when the tide comes in, they would come and swim right up to my place, and they would admire my seawall. And then they say, if Tati can build a seawall, a woman like her can build a seawall. Why aren't we building a seawall? And I thought to myself, true. Maybe they need somebody like me to go and teach them how to build a seawall. <laughs> but, you know, like before I built a seawall, Bobby, you know, when I was looking for people to work for me, and I went into this um, church hall and I said to them, because I said, you know, like, what are you doing about your seawall? And, and mind you, women are not allowed to talk among men in this place. But I went in, and as a woman, with a bit of knowledge illustrated that, equality. <laughs> and I've, I think I've always been a, a bit of a feminist, you know, like Good, women, can yes. still, yeah, women can still <laughs> do what you can do, you know. And so as a woman, I thought I'm going to investigate how to build a seawall. So I asked around, I said, well, so what are you doing about your seawall and what do you do? What do you do? You know, and I, I did a lot of research about the seawall. And um, and then, you know, like when I was confident about, you know, with it, I bought a um, cement mixer, you know, bought a wheelbarrow, you know, and I, and I paid, I, I paid communities because church communities needed money, you know, for their church fundraising. And they were the ones that I asked to help me out. But I paid them well, you know, I, I mm. know I paid them well. And how I know I paid them well was as soon as they come into the house to work, I feed them, right? <laughs> And then they had lunch and then they had afternoon tea and then they go away. And then at the end of whatever contract I asked them to do, I paid them good money, 
you know. So no one can say, oh, Terry, beauty, see, well, out of them, the sweat and, you know, um, <laughs> the, you know, the sweat and tears of them that the church people know they can't say that because I know that I pay them really well. But, <laughs> um, and so that's how the, the, um, the see, what was, is there. It's just a desperate, um, action. Ah. <sighs> I love that, Auntie. That's, yeah, beautiful and empowering. Now, besides damaging property, what other impacts does the rising water have on the islands? Ah, this is a sad one. I attended one of my nephew's funeral at Theoretic. And they dug his grave. And then high tide hit. Bobby, that grave was full of water, the seawater. I looked at the grave and I said to my cousin, him, his mum, are you going to bury him in that water? Yeah. She looked at me and she said, what else? where else? That, and she said, the tide will go out. And his body, his grave, his, um, his coffin, you know, will be buried. And that's another, re- you know, that's... That was one, um, one sad story of yeah. climate change. Not just that the water is um, killing the trees, coupled with the hot sun, the trees, the coconut trees are down. The coconuts are getting smaller and smaller. Um, mm. Not just that, but the people are not getting enough fresh water to drink. And yeah. I I, re, um, I heard a story about there's a place in Bondiki, right, uh, near the airport, and that um, water catchment. And so when that water goes, goes you know, like gets salty, well, then it's no good. Yeah. Mm. But that's um, the other, you know, like the sea is just uh, horrendous, just scary, you know. Yeah. Very scary. I think the islands are getting thinner, in my opinion. Mm. The, the islands are getting thinner. I, I don't imagine you sing about the waves being weak anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does a high tide look like these days in Kitabas? Oh, the high tide, especially where I am when it hits the seawall, Bobby, mm. the, the, the waves, and, you know, like they crisscross, they just come in from one angle and the other one comes in from another angle and they come in and they they just splash right on the seawall onto the roof mind you this roof I'm catching rainwater from it and the water can you imagine the seawater goes into the spout and everything it just turns the rainwater back again into seawater and it will as high as maybe three meters mm. You know, like, and also not just that, Bobby, but, you know, when you look at um, the waves, they can be so high, much higher than the land itself. Yeah. It might be um, a trick of how you see it, but it's scary. You know, like, you know, yeah. no one is going, no one is going to go out into that sea when it's really that high. It's just one day, I don't know, one day it will, from the west, Oh, from one side of the the island and the other side, they would just meet in between and bang, there's no kiribas anymore. 
But I hope that I don't live long enough to see that. Um, actually, I don't. I hope that it doesn't happen because, of course, my grandchildren and your your grandchildren and you know, mm. um, will will. I hope they don't experience that. Yeah, no one. It's sad. It is. It is very sad and and terrifying. Mm. Auntie, your daughter Marita turned your story of building the wall into a kid's book. How did it feel? Well, I remember the first day when she um, she said to me, "Mum, I I have to tell you something. I need to tell you something." And I went, <laughs> "Oh, what is she going to tell me?" You know. And Marita's a lot like me. Like, um, oh, she's not like me because I'm 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 a real sort of. You never know what I'm going to say. A bit like, I don't know, maybe a bit like your mum. <laughs> we kid of us people. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we say what we want to say straight away. But anyway, when she said to me, sit down, mum, and I want to tell you something. And uh, she said, um, I've written a book. And I said, oh, good on you, you know. And then she said, um, do, you, do you want to know what I, what I call my book? And I said, oh, okay. Um what is it? And she said, it's Te and the wall. I was sort of, I didn't know what to say. I felt, why? You know, <laughs> I felt like that was the, that was the question I wanted to ask you. Like, why? Why do you have to write your book and call it after me? You know, and then after maybe it's, she said, oh, mom, because, uh, you know, like it's about the sea wall. Then I thought to myself, I am so privileged that my daughter can actually write a book about me. You know, in the beginning, I was sort of kind of very excited, very proud, very, you know, like I wanted everyone to know that there's a book about me that my my mm. daughter wrote. And it's Tati <laughs> and, the, and the wall. You know, I, you know, like I was so excited. I was so thankful for, for it. It's a beautiful story. It is a beautiful story, and I'm sure lots of kids in Kiribati will enjoy that as well and learn a lot. Mm. Now, at, at the back of the kids' book, there is a question. Can Teote's wall withstand the strength of the ocean? Do you think it can? With maintenance, it can for now. Mm-hmm. The sea wall, I mean, the sea and the waves the waves will keep on penetrating through that wall. And once it knows how to get in there, it will break the sea wall. So without maintenance, it will happen. And it can happen. Yeah. And I'm not there to look after it. Auntie, will your job of building a seawall ever stop? No. Yeah. No. Because I will... I will forever run my eyes over the seawall every day. When I'm home, when I'm in Kiribati, I walk on that seawall five times a day. It's a beautiful place to walk. I, I walk on it and I keep an eye out to the cracks that may appear and then the work will continue. And hope that, because you know, once there's a crack, there will be another crack somewhere. There will be another hole somewhere. There will be, you know, like, it's really, 
You have to continue to build that seawall, not just me, but all those people who are building their seawalls. They need to keep an eye on it. And it's um, it doesn't stop. You just have to mm. keep going. It doesn't stop. It's like, I don't know, um, I I will look after it during my lifespan. Uh, maybe Marita or Terena will look after it when they get a chance to go back there. And, um, you know, and continue the work. But mm. no, that seawall will never stop being, you know, will never, the work on the seawall will never stop. It's amazing that you did inspire your village. Auntie Teote Kurapa, so much for joining me. Your stories are beautiful, sad and inspiring. Kurapa. Thank you, Bobby, for having me. Kurapa. <laughs> That was Teote Davies, the subject of the children's book Teote and the Wall. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. You'll also find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think there's someone who should be a part of this show, you can email storiesfromthepacific at abc.net.au. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Nambri people.